You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Welcome, welcome. Hi, everybody. Grand Rising and good morning to all of you out there. Welcome to the Morning Update Show. I am your co-host, but host for the day, Trey Holiday, as our guy, Big O, takes a much-needed time, some much-needed time with his family celebrating Acacia's birthday. Happy birthday, Acacia. We love you over here. I hope you enjoy your day, and oh, we can't wait to see you back next week. But of course, as always, we got a great show for you all today. We have several guests in the building and I want to give them all the time they need to express their stories. I can't wait to dive in. Uh, first up on the show today, after our first break, we're going to have my brother Kyle is in the building. Um, I'm so excited that he's here. We're going to be talking about all things Devin Edricor and his story. It's a really special week for him, so we'll also be diving into that. And then we also have Gwen Whiting coming up from the Washington State Historical Society. We're going to be talking to her about this amazing partnership that they have going on with Black Heritage Society. So you know we got to end the show with our very own Stephanie Johnson Tolliver of Black Heritage Society as we love her and know her as SJT over here. So when I tell you we got a nice packed show for you, I mean it. So let's get right into it. Welcome, welcome. Right now, of course, is a perfect opportunity and time for you to tag and share the stream. Go ahead and tag and share the stream with people you feel could benefit from culturally relevant news emanating from right here out of the Emerald City in the Pacific Northwest. I also want to give a big shout out to our partners over at the South Seattle Emerald and over at 91.3 at KBCS and Bellevue College. Um, And we've been keeping this message alive. You know, you guys know, hey, Anywhere that you guys are watching or listening to your favorite podcast, you guys can actually find all of our shows. So, you know, we'll uh, put the link in the comments right there to SoundCloud, but you guys can also find us on Google, Spotify, iTunes, um, anywhere that you find your favorite podcast. Just search Converge Media Network. You'll see the host of shows that we have um, uh, right there. So, you know, if you can't watch us, make sure you guys can listen to us in your cars or on your way to work. Um this is something that, you know, we're we're killed, we're still talking about it because it's still alive and well. COVID is still out there. So here for us, wa.org, an amazing resource of culturally responsive communication. You know, the thing is, is that, you know, we are seeing, I think, some new variants out. We're not really sure if these home tests are actually capturing it, waiting for more data to come out about that. But there have been some reports about people being really sick and taking those tests and coming up clear. Yet it seems like COVID is uh, really burrowed itself into all things sickness. So you never know if you actually have COVID. I'm telling you right now, you know, it's still good for you guys to utilize that resource at hereforuswell.org. Find out where you can get testing. Find out where you can get vaccines. If you are vaccine hesitant, make sure you guys are checking out that source to make sure you guys are up to date on all the information on all things COVID. Um, It's been, uh, I think, a, a whirlwind for all of us. And even as we see all of these, uh, you know, regulations lightening and lifting. Um, I'm still one of those people that's like, mm, it's a big crowd. I'm wearing my mask. So, um, you know, do what you can to keep your family safe. But here for us, org is a great resource. So, you know, I- I'm excited because I want to make sure we got through everything. We, we have a video. And and before we get to our guests, um, we want to show this video because, of course, uh It is Thorough Thursday, but it's also Throwback Thursday. We have a good Throwback Thursday segment for you right here. Hello, history lovers and all you curious folks out there who are interested in this fantastic mural wall behind me at Converge Media Studio. If it's Thursday, it's Throwback Thursday. And my name is Stephanie Johnson Tolliver. I am president at the Black Heritage Society of Washington State. The photo I want to share with you now is the image of Marjorie and Catherine. This this is a lovely image of them. I want to share the story of their lives that would not be the takeaway that you would see by glancing at this photo, but their careers with the World War II Armed Services Club. Marjorie Polk Sotero and Catherine Polk Lazard. They were two women who worked at the Armed Services Club. For context, I have to give you a bit of history about Camp George Jordan, though. It was a port of embarkation 
during World War II, 1942 to 1946. Initially, it was known as the First Avenue Camp. It was a segregated army camp with colored troops housed on one side of the street and the white personnel on the other. For as long as this camp was active, this was the way it functioned. The camp was located at First Avenue and Spokane Street in Seattle, today's Soto District. This is a whole nother episode. Today, I wanna to share with you Marjorie and Catherine's story. These two lovely black women, inside and out. On the World War II home front, and at the heart of morale building, were the Army Service Clubs. The soldiers could pick up conversations from, from guys back home, share stories, write letters, and have light recreation that was pool or maybe playing cards. On a regular basis though, there was live entertainment that was organized on and off base for the soldiers, where they could socialize and get their dance groove on. The mastermind and dedicated work behind the outreach success at Camp Jordan, and also the Elks Club, Eagles Auditorium, and the East Madison YMCA was Marjorie Polk Sotero. In 1944, Marjorie accepted the position as director of the 6th Army Service Club at Camp Jordan. She needed an assistant, in walks her sister Catherine Polk Lazard, who joined her as co-director. With their success as directors of the African American Service Club at Camp Jordan, the Polks were asked to organize entertainment for Fort Lawton and Fort Lewis servicemen. There were challenges on the base at this time because segregation was still adhered to within the U.S. Army. The Jordan Journal, which was a, what we would call today a newsletter, advertised the same entertainment only separately for black and white personnel. The Polk sisters recruited young women to help entertain at the dances and other social events. These volunteer hostesses met at the Phyllis Wheatley YWCA. We all know the Phyllis Wheatley now that is on Cherry Street, but at the time it was located on 21st Avenue off East Madison. They would travel together to these venues. The Mar Marjorie and her sister would provide these beautiful corsages and they would be dressed to the hilt. Marjorie also gave classes on etiquette. In the BHS collection, there is the Marjorie Polk Sotero collection that is photographs and memorabilia that were donated by Marjorie. The University of Washington Special Collections holds two oral history projects that include interviews with Marjorie as well. She elaborates on her childhood, education, family life, the racial barriers, and her involvement with Seattle's African American service clubs. So, if you're really curious about On the Home Front and the servicemen's clubs, check us out at BHS. If these walls could talk, you heard it here. Amazing, amazing, SJT. That just gave me some uh, goosebumps. I'm staring at SJT because I'm like, ooh, oral histories. I love it. And you know what? It reminds me to make sure that uh, you guys know about an opportunity to uh, contribute to oral history. There is a project that at the Fry Museum um, through Christopher Jordan, uh, amazing artist, and his exhibit. Uh, right now, they are accepting um, submissions, oral submissions from anybody in the black community, black African diaspora, um, they are wanting to hear from you to come down there. You get to sit in a sound chamber. I just did mine yesterday and, you know, share your piece of history. This is a time capsule project. And so the uh, capsule will be buried uh, at the Fry Museum and they will actually dig it up in uh, 2123. So a hundred years from next year, they'll be uh, 
sharing these oral stories uh, and whatever you want to say. You get a bunch of hours to sit in there. They only schedule one person per day and they just ask that you're done by 445 so the museum can close. Trust me, I could have been there all day just telling them about black media, about equity work, about spiritual liberation. I'm telling you now is the time to capture your own story so that the future generations in a hundred years can hear the work that we are doing today. Uh, so a great segue there, SJT. <laughs> Thank you so much for that throwback Thursday. Amazing. Then after this short break, you guys, I get to bring in my brother, Kyle Jaquay here. He is the owner of Debonair Decor, and I can't wait to talk to him about all things Debonair. Stay tuned after this short break. You're watching the Morning Update Show. As a non-binary Black femme, a lot of my identity is rooted in body. Once the vaccine was introduced, it was really difficult to think in terms of safety as well as autonomy. As a Black American, the relationship with government is very complicated. It's hard to trust. A lot of these conspiracies are really impacting people making a decision, especially with Black folks, to be clear about what we're doing. I think it's just a well-rounded conversation to see what's best for us. Hey there, it's Trey Holiday. And of course, Vesa and I had to take a trip back to Market Street Shoes to grab some items. They always know what to show us. And let me tell you, we both spent quality time to be sure we collected some amazing additions to our wardrobes. They have some of the most unique bags, shoes, and accessories. I mean, the whole shebang. It's always a good time when I get to shop with my girl, Baker. Make sure you go check out Market Street Shoes, y'all, and you too can walk out with some dope gear. Welcome back, everybody, to the Morning Update Show. I'm your host for the day, Trey Holiday. And joining me right now, when I tell y'all, uh, brother, I mean, growing up with this guy, I, he's always been fly and really came from a fly family, I got to say. Mr. Kyle Jaquay here. What's up, brother? Say it into the mic. What's good? What's good? What's good? Good morning. Good morning. How you feeling? Hey, I'm good. And you're looking debonair as always. Uh, you know, I don't know if you want to just kick your shoes up because you're all the way coordinated right now. You got to come through coordinated. Well, it's your first time in the Black Media Matter Studios. I got to ask you, you know, we, we've come out to your space uh, to showcase the opening. We'll be sharing that a little later. But but welcome to the Black Media Matter Studios. Honored to be here. You know, we're honored to have you. This is a really special week for you. Tell us a bit about why you started Debonair Decor. Okay, uh, I'll just, uh, I'll jump right into it. Um, unfortunately, you know, in the last two and a half years, I lost my mother. And then right after that, I lost my brother 16 months. And I was stuck, you know, I was in a dark place and ready to quit. Um, closer than anybody probably knew. But I just, you know, I didn't want to give up with my two kids. So I just um, I couldn't sleep. Um, I was up. Um, and I just remember like my brother's voice saying, get up. I started drawing. So, um, I came up with my logo, the two D's in my logo represent their names, Deborah and Dion. Um, when we were younger, growing up in Inglewood, my brother was in the fashion. He was a sneakerhead. Um, they would call him debonair with debonair essentially means confident, stylish, fashionable, witty. Um, you know, his books start street smart and he was debonair. So, um, that's the first D. Then my mom, we grew up in, uh, in, uh, Baldwin village in the jungles, um, you know, a lower socioeconomic neighborhood, but we would always have nice uh, mid-century furniture and art and a decor. So they called her Miss Decor. So he's the debonair. She's the core and the two wings now are a representation of them as my garden angels. So when I was starting this, I didn't really know what I, what I was going to do with it. I sent the logo to a few different people. I knew I kind of wanted to do some T-shirts. always been in the fashion. You know, I, I had modeled professionally and I've been in the fashion, you know, as a sneakerhead, uh, as I said. Um, so I had it and I sent this to some people. I didn't like it. I sent it to some other people didn't like it. Then I met a younger kid um, and I kind of like something. So long, long story short, I just kept it the same. It was just kind of simple, it was strong. The two D's were intertwined. The wings are now like a representation of my garden angels. And I, uh, I did, I think a t-shirt um, maybe a year and a half ago. And I kind of did some beanie, beanies during cap and I had one of them on and kind of got a little buzz going and, uh, Started doing a couple of pop-ups. Long story short, an opportunity came up to be in Pacific Place Mall in downtown Seattle. And, uh, you know, people say, who opens up a, a brick and mortar during a global pandemic? And, uh, you know, the most transparent answer is someone 
that that just needs something to keep going. So I just jumped. Didn't know really what I was doing. You know, I, I think I, I got a decent eye for fashion. And I know how to put together an outfit uh, together, you know, <laughs> as uh, my partners would say. But um, now in the business aspect of it, I didn't really know. Um, but I, w- I was fighting, you know, for my life not to quit. And I knew, like, um, <clears throat> it, it was tough. So I, uh, I just jumped and uh, I just started traveling and I started grabbing art and um and clothes. And the funny story is like a lot of people don't know this part about it. I had worked for Nike part-time, you know, I was in the sneakers. I actually quit Nike. Um, so I could carry sneakers in my boutique, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And there were some pretty decent benefits from Nike, but I was like, I wanted to bet on myself to where, um, this thing would go so big and honor my mom, and my brother to where I didn't need those benefits there. You know what I'm saying? So, um, um, we just made it a year, um, uh, in the winter and, uh, we sell art, we sell clothes, we sell sneakers, accessories, and um, really just trying to keep my mom and my brother's name alive um, with these two wings. We've had international sales from um, Bosnia, um, the UK, Germany, um, Costa Rica. And my mind's going right now, but so we've had a lot of international sales. And uh, seriously, I just want to push the brand to another level. As I said, I grew up in Inglewood. So the next um, project where we're kind of working on, I got a few things I'm going uh, working on opening up a store in Inglewood and eventually one in Brooklyn. And then um, I'm excited about um, something. My daughter, she's there every day. As you guys, if you watch our follow our page, our Instagram, um, she's in there working hard. So we're launching her lip gloss line. Her middle name is Jade. It's called Jade Decor. She looks a lot like my mother. So it's a, you know, it's bittersweet having her there. Um, and she grinds. Like she works. She helped paint the dressing room. Um, so we got our own LLC, our own business license. All the proceeds are going to go to her. So she's essentially her own boss at eight years old. So we're grinding. And then I'm working on this other, give you a little sneak peek. Um, we're working on another underlining brand called Debonair Dogs. We're going to open up a hot dog stand. Then I got something else. Can't give you all the secrets. Look at but, uh, this. No, we're just trying to, you know, uh, push this entre- entrepreneurship thing. And I'm really trying to um, not just tell my daughter about being resilient and uh, about business, but show her what my actions and going to work every day because I'm tired. And if I'm honest, there's a lot of days I don't feel like going. A lot of days I shut those doors and I'm sick because I, I, you know, I miss my mom and my brother more than I can ever put in words, but I know I can't quit on my kids. And um, so I, I'm just thankful uh, to to be here and to be able to share my story and to really to be able to honor them and carry on their name with Debonair Decor. Um, and I'm excited for, you know, where it's going to take me. It's a lot of hard work. I work a lot of hard hours and, um, Another little secret, as we've talked about, special week for me. I was born on Mother's Day. So uh, last few years, it's, it's been hard. I didn't really celebrate as I wanted to. This year, I'm going on a trip next week. Um, and I'm going to go celebrate me. I'm going to celebrate my mom. I'm going to celebrate um, the accomplishments. You know, I'm not satisfied. I'm I'm a guy that's, uh, I think, weird. You know, like they say I've been dressing weird all my life. I say dressing <laughs> weird got me in my own boutique. So there it is. You know what I mean? But uh, no, I, I, uh, I'm reaching for the moon. If I hit the stars, you know, okay, cool. But I don't, the place is beautiful, but I'm not satisfied. It's like 65% of my vision. I want to take it to another level. I'm working on a big sneaker deal. Um, keep my fingers crossed. If I get that, like it's going to change the game. And I also got some other newer brands coming in. And then we have a, uh, we got a pop up. Cause I got three, uh, I got a really dope brand, local brand coming in. It's called mediums collective. Yeah. We got some crazy stuff. And then we're working on a, got another fashion show as we did the other fashion show. I was invited to, well, we got a fashion show we're doing. Then we got a, uh, a boat party we're gonna do so we yeah. got we got some things cooking you know what I'm those are my brothers over there at mediums collective man guys, shout man. out to roger and caesar man. On, man i love it you know the thing is is that you know for us here at converge it's really important that we are not just talking about how we're a part of the community but that we show up and we and we showcase that so i just want to do another little almost throwback yeah. uh to when you opened up the store converge media was in the building check this out Yo, yo, what's up, everybody? This is Eric Calligraphy with Converge Media, and today I'm here with my brother, KJ Kyle with Debonair Decor. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What was your inspiration behind the store and how this all came to be? My name is Kyle Jaquay here. Debonair Decor. I'll just get straight to it, man. Essentially, it's the brand is just to honor my mother and my brother who both recently passed away in uh, the last couple years. My brother, you know, it just hit me hard. I, I, I was trying to just really get used to my mom and then he it happened with him so you know I just was felt like I was going into a dark place and I had to do something I couldn't sleep so I just started drawing and uh I came up with my logo the two D's which represent Deborah and Dion 
and the two wings represent them now as my guardian angel. So Debonair is a, you know, confident, stylish, fashionable, witty, charisma, you know what I'm saying? Book smart, street smart. That was my brother. That was me. We we're a lot alike. So that's where the debonair comes in. And the core come piece is to honor my mom when we were younger and growing up in Inglewood. We had a uh, crazy color couches and uh, beautiful like pastel color drapes and plates and chandeliers and whatnot. And then she was really in the furniture and really neat and um, really in the different uh, different colors. So the couture is kind of like the colors you see in the stores. It's kind of to honor them. Seeing who would ever thought I would be in the Pacific place. Um, as a black owned business um, opening during a global pandemic. So I'm, I'm humbled and I'm thankful. And I'm grateful for all the support. And uh, I want to push this thing to the limit. Well, there it is. You are pushing it to the limit. You're talking about uh, all of the ways that you're expanding on this foundation that you've created for yourself. And it's beautiful to hear, you know, how you're pouring into your daughter for her to understand business as an entrepreneur. Uh, when you think about, you know, your your mom and your brother kind of being those those angels, right? You know, behind your wings, just like pushing you through, you know, this is that special week for you. But I love hearing how you're being resilient through it all. And I've seen you, you've always been fly. You, you and your brother always had that, that debonair spirit. So I really, really appreciate you diving into the story here. What are some of the next level things? Cause I mean, you're talking about now going to Brooklyn and expanding to Inglewood that takes on a whole nother toll, but it also means that you have to have some real strong ties to people that, you know, can help support your vision. How is it to build those relationships and extend them into now a business relationships? Yeah, I think um, when I first started it, I, I'm a type of person who, who you know, <laughs> is good and bad in some ways. I like to do stuff the way I like to do it. That's just, you know, I watched my mom, you know, speaking to her. Um, I didn't I didn't quit because of my kids, but I didn't quit because the unwavering confidence and love my mom poured into me. When I was little, little, she would speak like life into me. And the same thing I do with my kids, especially my little girl to empower. I She made me feel like I could do anything. Mm. And I feel like whether you believe you can or you can't, you're usually right. And I'm like, you know, uh, who was before Phil Knight? You didn't know somebody. He tried something. You look at Virgil, like, why can I be the next big design? Why not me? That's just kind of how I think. So I try stuff. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But I feel like you never know if you don't try. If you don't shoot your shot, you know, and I'm, 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 anybody knows me, I, I'm pretty confident. I believe in me. So I just I grind, though. That's the thing. You know, watching my mom grind in her spirit. She worked. We didn't have a lot. We, we grew up in the projects. It was a grimy neighborhood, but we always had what we needed. And she just taught me, like, you know, you don't quit. Mm -hmm. Only thing you're quitting is a bad habit. So I feel like her inspiration and her teachings, I kind of like now that she's gone, I hold on to that. And I try to take some of that into my parenting and then just work at it. I feel like it, I just really believe if you build it, they'll come eventually. This pandemic ain't going to be here forever. Mm -hmm. So if you grind and you build it. And so having said that, like I try to have to get out of my way and choose logic over emotion. It was emotional. I didn't want to work with nobody. I didn't want no one there. Um, only my son had worked there. And then my nephew, Dion Jr., he had worked there. Um, but I didn't really want, and then one of my best friend's son, Giovanna worked there. And then one of my best friend's daughters worked there. It was personal. But now as I'm getting bigger, I have to understand it takes a team to go to the next level. You can get further together than you can by yourself. And that's just removing, you know, emotion and choosing logic. So having said that, uh, obviously my roots growing up in Inglewood, um, and having some ties to, uh, you know, Nip and his family, some other people. So I'm looking at some spaces and, and the talks to them. And I go to LA every few weeks to get products and talk on business. And then some of my dad's family uh, being from Brooklyn. So that's just the goal, having um, stores there. And then, you know, depending on how those goes, the next three cities where most people don't know, this is probably the first time I'm saying this live, but it's uh, it's Houston, Chicago, and Atlanta. Because yeah. I just want to have it, you know, really globally, um, locally, and then, you know, internationally. Um, but just building building relationships, having conversations. Really, I think most things are just having a conversation and then just being transparent. You know, some, sometimes I just, I've gotten comfortable with telling people no. I don't like no, but I don't like to hear no. I feel like there's a way. But if I'm if it doesn't fit what I'm doing, a lot of people come and say, hey, can I do this? Or I want to do this in your space. And I feel like this is something I built literally from the ground out. I literally got out the mud. So you can't just come in here um, if it doesn't go with my vision. Now, if it does go with my vision and it and it and it makes sense and it makes dollars, then we can have a conversation. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I just I'm just being more mindful um, about the the 
the bigger picture in the long run and understanding that it's a marathon. And then I'm opening my mind to, to having working relationships with different people. Like mediums is the first one. There's a lot of other people that I've asked, um, but I do want to give a special thanks while I'm doing this interview to a lady named uh, Carlisa Minus. She's a, uh, she does my tags. She sold stuff for me. If it wasn't for her, debonair decor wouldn't exist. So I want to give her a shout out um, just because she helps keep this thing together. And she's dope. She uh, has her, her own things called Mac fashion house. And she, she's just an incredible woman and she's an incredible uh, designer and a person. I just want to acknowledge um, the support she has. She's given me and given the brand to keep going. There's a couple other people, but she's just been like the rock of it. Um, I love that. But yeah, I just, uh, I'm just looking forward. Uh, like I said, I got some other new brands coming in. I'll drop a couple of names. I got Mitchell and Ness. I'm going to be the first, first North representative to carry the marathon clothing now that wow. they're relaunching it. Um, and some cup, some other urban streetwear brands. Cause initially I wasn't going to carry any other brands. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, that's not really wise. As you, as you know, as you grow and you understand the business perspective of it, cause at the end of the day, I'm, you know, and I'm proud to say this, I'm hundred percent older. Yeah. I don't owe nobody. Yeah. So I can do what I want to do. So I'm gonna carry other brands. I'm gonna see how it goes, do trial things. And then like, I'm really just learning. Like, I still feel like people be like, how you did this? I don't know. I just didn't quit. I, I can't tell you there's one thing that I did or didn't do. The one thing I did do was get up and go to work Yeah. and grind. And that's what I do every day. You know what I'm saying? I get up, I worked out every morning and, you know, send emails or source out different things and I go grind. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So um, I really want to take it to the next level. Um, I think the Pacific place is a beautiful place. It's a, it's a adult mall. The management there is doing a really good job of trying to get new stores and whatnot. And uh, there's some great, great spaces there. The Wow Gallery is amazing. Absolutely. The Onyx Gallery is amazing. Then my boy uh, Styles, he has a shop called Toxic Threads. There's, there's some, um, there's some melanin in there. Yeah. So, you know what I'm saying? In Pacific Place, when I, you know, 17, 16, 17, 18, like I'd never in, in a million years imagined, or I just not, I never thought that I, I would even be in there. So well, we didn't see there, enough representation. I'll tell you that. Like Pacific Place was almost like a Bellevue Square nah, in downtown. They, it was kind of like. They had Victoria's Secret. That yeah. was kind of a store. And then they had Finish Line. They got rid of it. So to be in there, like, you know, it, sometimes I walk in there. I don't think about it, but my friends always tell me, like, it, it, it's kind of a big deal. But I just want to take it so much further than, I mean, I'm thankful for the space I'm in, but I want to, like I said, to touch multiple cities and um, those other business endeavors that I have that I want to do. So um, you guys got to come check me out. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say we're at 600 Pine Street, Suite 110, Seattle, Washington, 98101. Um, our Instagram is debonair underscore decor KJ. Our Facebook is debonair decor couture. We're open uh, Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7, Sunday, 12 to 6. We got dope art, dope clothes, dope sneakers, good energy, good vibes. And you got me, you got debonair, you know what I'm saying? So. <laughs> Come check, come check us out. We're working real hard. Absolutely working very hard. And congratulations to you and everything that you're doing, the relationships that you have there, you know, and, and the ways that you are building upon this vision. Kyle, thank you for actually making time in your busy schedule because this being a special week for you as you celebrate your mother and your brother. You just showed me the dope tattoo. I don't know that we could get it on camera, but it's like, it, it's like, it's so good. It literally looks just like his brother. It's hard for you guys to see it, but he's definitely so got, got his mom, mom and his brother mom, on his leg. Day before yesterday, I got their portrait. You're representing. And I waited almost two years because I wanted to find a special person. I'm going to give him a shout out. My guy, Sam, Polynesian dude, like it's, it's amazing. Like I, I can't believe how much it looks like my mom. I can't believe how it looks like my mother. So this is like yeah. an honor and a tribute to them. And um, he was booked out for like a year, but he made an exception. Um, probably not supposed to say this, but I'm gonna say it. he made an exception because it was the, it was a memorial for my mom. Yeah. My brother. So he did it for me you know, on my birthday. So, so I'm thankful. Um, and I'm gonna send him some business and uh yeah, this is another way of me honoring them and keeping them with me every day. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Jaquay here. And, and you know what? Before I let you go, I got to give a, a, a family shout out because my cousin Jaquay Holiday yeah. is also doing some restoration of sneakers. And I know he's also there. You you know what? You're doing phenomenal work. And thank you for being a staple in our community and really showcasing to people that the grind is real. Getting up every day, like you said, having that, you know, resilience to push through your own emotional pain to now create something that we all get to support. I'll be seeing you this weekend, bro. For I so sure. appreciate you for joining me. Let me piggyback on that. I also wanted to say too, give my guy Holiday Black a uh, <laughs> shout out. Uh, he's one of my friends, not just a business partner. Um, he, he works hard. You know what I'm saying? He's present. He speaks life into me. And he actually named it the million dollar spot. That's like our ah. hashtag. And that's his name thing. He calls it. And he comes in and it's just good energy and good vibes. And we're both 
you know, sneakerheads. And uh, it's just a lot of positivity, two great minds uh, that come together and we're doing something big. So it's obviously I'm the owner, but it, it's our space. Yeah. Like he's there now working with my, my brothers from Medium. It's their space, too. So I'm just trying to create something where everybody feels welcome. I don't care what color, race, creed, sexual orientation, religion right. you believe in. If you're positive, you got good energy. You're welcome at Devin there. You know absolutely. Well, I know I'm welcome. I'm but definitely so, coming family. down. And I need to come and shop. We didn't really speak on that. I know we, we're going to get off here, but like, I think it's dope um, that you have an interview because you had a personal relationship with my brother and you yeah. actually knew him. So um, that's special for me to be able to do this with you. So I thank you guys for having me. I'm honored to be here and just know like this is just the beginning. You know what I'm saying? I love you so much. Yeah. Right Thank back you at for you. being here. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. All the love in the building, you guys. I'm telling you, we were going to have a great show for y'all. Coming up next, we got Gwen Whiting from Washington State Historical Society. We're going to be hearing all of the things that they have going on, as well as this amazing partnership with Black Heritage Society. Stay tuned after this short break. You're watching the Morning Update Show. Hey guys, Lisa Gordon here, and before heading to Belize, Trey Holiday and I had to make sure we linked up with our good friends over at Market Street Shoes to, of course, grab a few things for the trip. From bags to socks, shoes, sunglasses, earrings, and more, before going on any trip, make sure you stop at Market Street Shoes. Trust me, you'll find just what you need to make your trip not only enjoyable, but fashionable. The breathtaking new musical, Afterwards, is the story of the art we make from the love that shapes us. When three women discover unexpected truths, a dazzling mosaic of intersecting lives reveals itself. Featuring a revelatory and soulful new score. Don't miss the world premiere of this captivating new musical, Afterwards, at the Fifth Avenue Theater, April 29th to May 21st. Tickets at fifthavenue.org. Welcome back, everybody, to the Morning Update Show. I'm your host for the day, Trey Holiday. And joining me right now is Gwen Whiting from Washington State Historical Society. Welcome, Gwen. Thank you. Yeah, glad you could be with us. Now, I mean, you got to tell us, because we know lots about Black (laughs) Heritage Society. Tell us about Washington State Historical Society. Uh, Well, the Washington State Historical Society um, is centered in Tacoma. So we're a little bit south of Seattle. Um, and we run the Washington State History Museum, which is five floors of exhibitions and student spaces. And um, we also do several other outreach programs throughout the state. Wow. I mean, you're talking about, uh, I think, a lot of history. You know, I, I'm familiar with MOHI, right? Uh, museum of History and Industry. But this is uh, what you're talking about is all encompassing of all of Washington State history, correct? It is. We tell the story of Washington State from you know, before the territorial era, um, all the way to now with contemporary exhibitions. And we have some amazing artifacts on our per- in our permanent collection. Um, you know, for example, some of the, our most treasured artifacts are actually from George Bush, who was the black pioneer who settled Washington State. I mean, Washington wouldn't even be here if it weren't for Bush. Right, right. I think not enough of us understand that. And and yet we have to actually have Washington State history before we can graduate high school. But it's really important, the work you guys are doing over there. Uh, tell us a little bit about this partnership with Black Heritage Society. Well, this has been a fabulous partnership with Black Heritage Society. Uh, we started this partnership with a temporary exhibition we have from the Smithsonian Institution Traveling Exhibition Service called the Negro Motorist Green Book. Mm-hmm. And that exhibit traces the story of Victor Green and his travel guide that he developed for Black Americans starting in the 1930s that goes all the way through the civil rights movement. Um, And as part of that story, the Smithsonian exhibition covers a lot of ground. You know, it talks about the impacts of the Green Book on the North, the South, um, the West, but it doesn't really drill down to tell as much of the Washington story. And so with Stephanie's help um, and other the help of other folks around the state, uh, we were able to kind of pull together those moments in Washington um, so that people would understand that, you know, this discrimination that happened, it wasn't limited to the South. It wasn't limited to, you know, the Far East. That was happening here in Washington, and it is a part of our history. 
you know, this is something that's so important. I think uh, every day when I'm here in the Black Media Matter studios and I'm, you know, sitting here in front of Al Smith's amazing collection of Black culture, we realize that, you know, through so much effort, uh, the resilience of Black people here in the Pacific Northwest was just as strong um, in terms of, you know, we, we have these areas where we're like, oh, you know, look at the South, even now, today, look at the South. But, you know, right, what we experienced up here was somewhat of a hidden racism. You know, it was in the laws. It was in the restrictive covenants. It was in other ways, in, in restrictive banking. We saw it in a lot of institutions, but it wasn't as overt. And so I think a lot of people have that misconception that it didn't exist here. What are some of the things that you're the most excited about in terms of this partnership and being able to really center it around the Green Book? Well, there's a, there's a lot of things. Um, I think what you're saying is exactly right. It's that subtle nature of this discrimination out here that makes people, you know, even today people say, you know, that doesn't exist. We don't need the Green Book anymore. That's not true at all. And so I'm really excited that this partnership is enabling us to bring this history to, you know, everybody, especially students, um, you know, because they need to know this history. And like you kind of alluded to earlier, this is not history that's in textbooks. Um, this is history that, you know, people need to find out about it. And so our museum can be one of those places that people can come to, um, both with this Green Book exhibition, but with other exhibitions that we're planning. Um, and as we continue to revise and remodel our permanent galleries, we're telling stories like that about George Bush, um, you know, and we're telling stories like that about Isaac Morrow, who, you know, completely innovated shipping through the port. But, you know, we don't, we don't always hear those stories. And so we're thinking about how we can bring these sort of stories to the forefront and, and, you know, make them part of the broader history of Washington State and something that people just grow up knowing. I think that's a really important thing to do, but we can't do it unless we have partners like Black Heritage Society, unless we have people who are willing to come forward and share those objects and those stories that bring meaning to this history. Yeah, I think that that is it's such a collaborative way to do uh, business when you're talking about really highlighting history. Um, and we've seen when it's not collaborative, right? We've seen the effects of that right. and how it actually only tells a bit of the story. It's only telling a small part. And this is exactly why these kinds of works are so important. When what is it about you and your own personal life that brought you to this work at Washington State Historical Society? Because I always I always get so inspired by hearing how people got to where they are today. So what was it about you that made you really uh, hone in on, on this history and, and now in this institution? Well, I got to be honest with you and tell you, I was raised as part of a, uh, well, I continue to be uh, part of a multi-ethnic family. My adopted father is black. Uh, we didn't do a lot of museums when I was growing up, you know, and you know, kind of my experience when I went to museums as a kid is I would see parts of my family, but not all of it. You know, I didn't see... I just didn't see people of color represented. And so museums didn't feel like places for us. And, you know, and a lot of places didn't feel like places for us because, you know, we were a black and white family. And, you know, that's kind of one of the things I think about when I'm putting together exhibitions is I want them to be places where everybody can see themselves. Um, I, you know, I just don't want people to have that experience of like walking into a building and thinking, this is not for me and leaving. And that's, you know, that's kind of unfortunately, you know, for many years, museums have been that place for a lot of folks. I agree. You know, I mean, I, I because I am uh, intentional about exposing my kids to history and to certain aspects of um, culture, I find that I have this uh, it's, it's got to be an intentional choice for me, but it's not because most often I'm showing them something that is a part of their lived experience. And so sometimes, you know, for, for black families or multicultural families, as you say, there's something there that we need to bridge the gap with when it comes to history for, for people to understand it is their history as well, which I think oftentimes is not reflected in history books and it is not reflected in the way that history is taught. So when I even think about some of the ways that we showcase it, I really appreciate museums and I appreciate artwork because artwork really is a sign of the times. I say it all the time here on the Morning Update show, but it's so true when you think about how people people infuse their lived experience in artwork that oftentimes is way more reflective of this, you know, uh, amazing global 
tossed salad we live in here in America. But, but you know, I appreciate you saying that. How are some of the ways outside of the Green Book that you feel that Washington State Historical Society is doing just that? Well, you know, this is something that we're kind of perpetually working on. Um, one of the ways simply is to, when we're putting together an exhibition, you know, this may sound simple, but, you know, museums haven't always done this. Looking at who were represented, who do you see when you walk into the exhibition? Thinking about what are the topics that we're covering um, and how can we include, you know, multiple people, multiple um, experiences. Um, we also are looking at our collections. You know, we're a pretty old institution. We were founded over 125 years ago. Mm -hmm. I can tell you 125 years ago, those curators, curators were not collecting that kind of experience. So we have to do this sort of community partnerships and reaching out to folks and digging through our collections, both looking at um, what we have, but also what we're missing and actively, you know, engaging with folks to say, you know, bring these collections, bring these objects, bring your family stories to us. Because if we don't know those stories, we can't, we can't really tell those stories. Um, and it's a big job. It's a lot of work. And we're, I'm, you know, deeply grateful to institutions like the Black Heritage Society that have been doing this work for much longer than I've been a curator. Um, because, you know, those collections can form the backbone for the research that we're doing and also for people to come are doing. And so that's something that we're kind of, you know, that we're always thinking about is, at least in my mind, is what is this foundation that I'm setting so that future curators can kind of look back and see, at least have something to work from, um, have these, you know. And, you know, another thing also, uh, well, there's a few other things. We are actively engaging in what we're calling the Black History Project, where we are actively collecting, recording, and creating curriculum um, about, about black stories in our state so that students have that experience so that you can get that in the classroom. You know, um, I think back on my history education and it was not, it was pretty, you know, it was pretty white. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Again, you know, it was pretty male. You know, I certainly did not see myself in the history classroom. Um, and yet when you look at like the spectrum of history and the age of history and like just the power and the beauty and the stories of black history, it goes back thousands of years and we just don't talk about that. So I'm hoping that these kind of efforts and asking folks to tell their stories and collecting this material, you know, over the generations, you know, eventually like this will become part of the mainstream. You will be, you know, if you're a student in your classroom, this will just be, you know, part of your textbook. We're not there yet, but we can be. Yeah, it's intentional. And I think that's why I talk about making that choice. I really appreciate you for sharing this, but it also sounds like there's opportunities for community to be engaged in this work. You can just go right ahead right there and look in that camera and let folks know <laughs> how they can participate. If they know that their family has some amazing stories to share or some parts of that history that you guys may be missing, how can they uh, make sure that they connect with Washington State Historical Society? Well, definitely find us on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, go to our website, WashingtonHistory.org. Uh, our contact information is on the website. You can feel free to reach out to me. You can feel free to reach out to our head of collections. Um, we're interested in those stories. So, you know, just reach out directly and we will contact you back because um, we want to know. It may not look like we have an exhibition coming in the future, but we are always gathering um, ideas and stories and objects so that we have some ideas about you know, what other things might be doing uh, for the society. Thank you so much, Gwen, for joining me. I'm really glad that you were here today so we could hear about this partnership, but also about the work of Washington State Historical Society. Can't wait to come out there to Tacoma and visit the museum. Great. I hope you see Green Book. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, uh, we're going to continue in this historical conversation. After this short break, we got SJT coming to the set with me. Can't wait to dive into uh, the partnership with her and also some of the ways that Black Heritage Society is stepping up and really partnering and to make sure that that Black history is a part of Washington history. Stay tuned after this short break. You're watching the Morning Update Show. As a non-binary black femme, a lot of my identity is rooted in body. Once the vaccine was introduced, it was really difficult to think in terms of safety as well as autonomy. As a black American, the relationship with government is very complicated. It's hard to trust. A lot of these conspiracies are really impacting people making a decision, especially with black folks to be clear about what we're doing. I think it's just a well-rounded conversation to see what's best for us. 
All right, welcome back to the Morning Update Show. I'm your host for the day, Trey Holiday, And joining me right now is Stephanie Johnson Tolliver, or SJT, as we like to say. Hi. Hey, Trey. Hey, good to be with you. Now, I mean, you have, you, you know, you are definitely a recurring guest right here on the Morning Update Show and in the Black Media Matter Studios. But I just want to say, while I have you here, thank you for these amazing Throwback Thursday segments. They are so impactful and insightful about the ways that we have really helped to shape what history looks like and where we are today. So thank you. Well, thank you, because it is an honor to be in the studio and in front of this fantastic mural wall. And um, all the support that that I have from the studio crew, I mean, Salman and then Ruben coming in with the editing on it and making me look real good. (laughs) So I absolutely love it. Well, we appreciate it. And I think it's so necessary. And so, uh, you know, just talking to Gwen there about Washington State Historical Society. Yeah. I mean, there who knew that there was this many people and groups working on history? Tell us about how Black Heritage Society is involved with this Green Book Motorist exhibit. Right. Well, first of all, just huge props and thanks to Washington State Historical Society for reaching out to BHS to be a partner on the exhibition and um, developing some of the public programming around the exhibition. You know, um, it's been, you know, tremendous and fun for us in that respect. So the uh, the Negro Motorist Green Book, the exhibition, uh, BHS knew about it maybe three or four years ago, you know, we were anticipating this exhibition coming to Washington State. And when we heard that the Washington State Historical Society was um, going to be hosting it, then, you know, I started shooting emails, I think, to Gwen, like, like early on, like, hey, you know, here we are, you know, we would love to support it. So um, we've really been building beyond a partnership, but a friendship. It's important. I think this kind of work is, you know, if nothing more, it's relational. I mean, if you're really being intentional, as Gwen was saying there about how you guys are approaching this exhibit. But also, I love how you said that, you know, that it's beyond, you know, a partnership, but a friendship. And we know that Black Heritage Society has been, you know, literally keeping black stories and culture and history alive. And as Gwen said, you know, doing it for a very long time, Um, you know, when we think about the ways that you're able to make these kind of partnerships happen, tell us a little bit about, you know, what the logistics kind of behind it are, you know, are they uh, handling certain areas of this while black heritage society is doing other parts? Tell us more about that. It, It definitely is a collaboration. You know, it's it's a collective of all of our energies, you know, coming together. And when I walked into the, the studio um, a little earlier today and um, who you who you don't see, um, you know, on set is uh, Juliana, who's been working in marketing at um, the Historical Society. And she said, well, you know what? I think we should have had an office here for you, like, you know, at least pop in once a week. So um, I'm feeling really embraced by them. And. Um, the, the way that we, we contribute, again, it's, it's a collective and particularly on the green book exhibition, um, the, it's, it's fantastic and been, has been fantastically curated, um, through the Smithsonian, the traveling exhibition here, um, the, uh, historical society taking it on and doing a, a more local interpretation with it as well. So some of the artifacts have come out of the Black Heritage Society to support the exhibition. And we have photographs of, you know, local places. And um, what I absolutely love is the um, soda fountain mixer, the mixing machine that we loaned out that was at Bishop's uh, Pharmacy on Jackson um, from the 1930s, 40s, and forward even into the 60s, uh, Bishop's Pharmacy was there, and they were, um, you know, one of those businesses that was in the Green Book. 
Well, I've heard so much about bishops. This is really exciting. I mean, you're talking about some of the artifacts that I know people, uh, you know, with COVID, Black Heritage Society had to shut down, kind of opening it up to the public. And so the fact that you guys have some amazing artifacts that are now going to be showcased in this exhibit, I think it's really special, Um, particularly, you know, as we're still kind of dealing with this pandemic, but we're getting um, to another side of it where now people can really experience some of the amazing artifacts facts that you guys all have over there at BHS. Right. Well, the again, with the exhibition, um, the Negro Motorist Green Book um, was a national book, right? It, it had all states were encompassed. But when um, Washington State, when we can see ourselves there and have people recognize, well, um, first of all, you know, Washington State in the Green Book, like, you know, why? You know, I'm like, because uh, you know why? Um, it, too, was a, a place that um, wasn't absolutely welcoming to Black folks as they traveled, um, particularly in the 40s and 50s. I mean, we had sundown towns here in Washington State. So when you were traveling from the South or uh, back East, you wanted to know what to expect when you arrived here. So there we were. We had um, a list of businesses that were beauty shops, restaurants, um, places to recreate. I mean, uh, just hotels, um, tourist homes. Women ran tourist homes. I mean, they opened their homes and invited people to stay overnight and fed them these, you know, fabulous meals, those home cooked meals after being on the road for like who knows how long. So, um, yeah, I think that when people come out and see this exhibition, they're going to see um, see themselves, see their history uh, from Washington State. Look, I mean, you're describing the very first, the original Airbnb. <laughs> yeah, it, it, absolutely. And, and, and that's what, you know, I've heard Gwen talk about that, too. You know, um, and we realize that. And there is one home um, that's still standing in Tacoma. Um, we've had a conversation about that. And then one in Everett that was run by a woman who was um, an advocate for women's rights and the the NAACP. Um, Some folks just purchased the home. Um, They're interested in restoring the home. So as this green book is talked about and people are engaging with it more, all of these stories are coming out. Uh, Just a couple days ago too, I wanna share this really quickly, is that um, there was the Idaho Hotel that was um, in the green book. Um, it, it wasn't on, it's not on the tour currently of the Black and Tan Hall has that fabulous, you know, Seattle Green Book tour, but the Idaho was run by a black woman by the name of Birdie, Birdie Johnson. Mm. And I just got a photo of her two days ago from her family and she's standing at the desk of the Idaho Hotel and it's the 1940s. And, and so all of these stories, you know, are building and coming out of, um, the screen book exhibition, uh, the oral histories. You mentioned it earlier. So this, we got to have them. We got to have them. And this is why, I, you know, what excites me about being able to be a part of even like a time capsule project is mm-hmm. that, you know, what what yes. what could I have learned from people a hundred years ago, right. you know, right here in Washington state that were paving the way for, you know, what we see today. And, right. and so much of it is that one thing I love about history, it's ever unfolding, right? Yeah. It's building upon the, the, the histories and the stories and the culture and the narratives of the days before us. And so there's just this constant lineage, I think, uh, when we think about the continuation of our lives and the continuation of time. Uh, there's so many different things to learn from the past. Right. We're, we're making history every day. Yeah. Right. And and we know that. And um, there was a, a quote that I heard and I repeat it often is that we don't repeat history. History rhymes. Mm-hmm. So it continues. It moves. You know, it flows. And um, I think that's the way to appreciate it. And when young people can see themselves as part of the the past, the current, but also the future, um, that's what gets me excited about, you know, being around history. And on uh, May 19th, coming up May 19th at the museum, at the Washington State History Museum, um, I'll be joining Jackie Peterson, who I think you know Jackie, will be in conversation with Candace Taylor. 
So Candace Taylor is um, a Green Book scholar. She wrote this fabulous book, Overground Railroad, mm -hmm. and she's going to be there to tell us all about her journey. She's traveled over 60,000 miles on the road, researching all of these places uh, that are in relation and aligned to the Green Book. So we want everybody to come out and, and hear Candace, and she's even going to sign books on May 19th, so 530 5.30 at the Washington Histori yes. History Museum. Yes. Well, you know, tell us before we let you go, how can people come and see this exhibit? Obviously, May 19th, a huge day. Mm -hmm. uh, when does the exhibit open? How can people come? What do they have to do? Just come to the museum. Tell us all about that. Yeah, so the exhibition has um, will be up and, and going until June 12th. So everyone has the opportunity to come out um, between now and June 12th. Um, yeah, please visit the website for the hours. I think um, Gwen was sharing that earlier, but um, on the website, you'll find all the details about programming, uh, public programming, um, and there's free days, which is really great. So the, the Candace event is on a free Thursday. So we're welcoming everyone to, to come out you know, on May 19th. And in the community, we have one more pub, we have another public program um, before we close everything down with um, aligned programming. It's at Wanawari on June 4th with, with Perry, Perry Roden. Wow. So we're going to be doing this really fabulous and fun arts and crafts project with Perry. And um, we'll tell you more about it later. Oh, wow. SJT, you're forever in bed in this community. We so thank you for your work mm -hmm. and for everything that you are pouring into it. Thank you for sharing how Black Heritage Society is in now in partnership and friendship with Washington yeah. State Historical Absolutely. Society. We appreciate you for everything you bring right here to Converge Media because wow. you are our, our history guru. So we definitely appreciate you, Auntie. Yeah, thank <laughs> you, friend. Of course. So, <laughs> so yeah, so yeah. good to be here. We appreciate Appreciate you so much. Oh my goodness, you guys. Obviously, we ran over a little bit, but we had to make sure we got all of that amazing history as a part of today's episode. We so thank you for staying with us. Um, of course, we have a couple of updates because tomorrow um, we also get to have uh, uh, some folks on Feel Good Friday with me. Uh, first up is Cynthia Brothers, my girl, another Garfield High School grad. We're going to be talking about Vanishing Seattle. And then we also have Patrick Galactic of Weird at Night our partners over there are keeping it weird on Saturday nights right here on Converge. Um, and before I let you go, you guys got to get your tickets to Marriage of Figaro. We'll also be putting that up there for you right now. You can go to Seattle Opera. You guys can check out what performance you want to see. Um, as Nathan shared with us earlier this week, uh, there are nine performances. So please feel free to go to this show. Amazing show. Um, I can't wait to be there. I'm going to be there on one of these days. I just got my ticket. So I'm telling you guys, get your tickets in for me. Always see yourself as a part of the solution. All of our guests today, whether it was Kyle Jaquay Hare, or it was Gwen Whiting, or obviously SJT, everybody is doing their part. So I hope that you are inspired and feel encouraged for you to do your part, making this world a better place and being a part of the solution. As Omari would say, until tomorrow at 11 a.m., go forward in your purpose, go forward in your humanity. Peace. What do I see through a lens of fear? A thousand little steps to go. What do I fear after all these years? Lord knows I don't even know. I've been running on the edge of a sundial, sleeping in the shadow. I've been begging you to see me, then hiding beyond the unreachable. Looking out.
Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.